This message was recorded at Devoted, a Christ Central Festival for all the family. To find out more about Devoted, please visit devotedevent.org. Don't worry, we will get back to singing and praising together. We, we want to do that. We love to do that. But just before we get there, just to, to help you, more importantly, on your journey, if you just want to take a seat. Um, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite up a friend of mine who, who really just has a story to share with you about how God broke into his life, about how God transformed his life. Um, and I trust that you will listen to him. I trust that you will engage with him. And more, and more than anything, I guess, I trust that you will um, be open to the spirit and to listen to what God's got to say um, to you guys uh, through his story. Can we just welcome up Damien McGuinness together? Hi, guys. Good, good, good. So yeah, John has asked me to share a little bit of my testimony with you guys. So I've, I've got quite—I've only got 15 minutes, so I'll, I'll try and be uh, try and be as brief as possible. Um, I grew up on quite a rough council estate in a place called Salford. Um, does anyone know Salford? Yes, Poets Corner in Salford. Um, and I grew up in a single-parent family um, up until about the age of seven, when my mum met this guy called John, who became my stepdad. And um, John was a, a violent alcoholic. So basically, he was a nice guy if you met him on the street and that, but behind closed doors and stuff, he would just drink, he would get drunk all the time, he beat my mum up, he beat me up, he beat my brothers and my sisters up, and uh, really horrible and really scary growing up in a house uh, surrounded by domestic violence. Um, I remember one time, uh, my little brother Nathan had just been born, and um, we was all upstairs in bed, John was drunk, and he was um, having an argument with my mum, and I heard him beating her up through the walls. And he was absolutely panning her. And she's going, Damien, help me, Damien, help me, Damien, help me. I was only about six or something, six, seven, eight or something. And I'm pretending to be asleep. Next day, I went downstairs and I saw my mum. She was holding Nathan in her arms like this and she had two black eyes. And I thought, man, this guy's a scumbag. I thought, we know something. One day, I'm going to get big. I'm going I'm to absolutely lever this guy. I'm going to absolutely do him in one of these days. Um, it was... It was it was really tough growing up in, 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 in a home like that. Um, at school, because I was being bullied at home, not because I was being bullied at home, because what was going on at home with John and the violence and stuff, I became a bully at school. Um, I'd get into fights with people in my class. I'd go to, um, we'd arrange fights with other schools as well. So, um, what, I'm, what I'd do, <laughs> we'd arrange these gang fights with other schools, and I'd just turn up on my own with the, with the, to, to these gang fights on my own. And uh, I got a reputation for being a bit of a madhead. I fight, you know, I turn up where I turn up, and I just, I just say, right, guys, we're doing this. And I end up fighting with all these other schools and that, but I'll be there on my own. And I got a bit of a reputation as a proper madhead. Um, because, because I didn't like the house around John and stuff like that, um, I used to spend a lot of time roaming the streets and stuff. And I used to hang around with kids that were a lot older than I was. So I was like, I don't know, 10, 12, 13, hanging around with 18, 19-year-olds and doing the things they were doing. So I got into drugs, uh, got into dealing, got into commercial burglaries, got into car crime, things like that. And my life was just kind of slowly kind of spiraling out of control, man. It was just like a, it was, it was just proper mad. Um, and what, what, what happened over time, um, I'd go out roaming the streets, drinking, doing drugs, getting in fights and things like that. And then I'd come home. And I see John even looked at my mum in the wrong way. I just start to attack him. So it was one night I came home. I was, I was pretty drunk off my head. He was drunk off his head. And um, I heard him swearing at my mum. So I remember just running into the living room where he was sat with a weightlifting bar. And um, he started laughing at me saying, what are you going to do with that? So I just started absolutely battering him with this weightlifting bar. Just absolutely doing him in. I got him on the floor, started jumping on him and things like that. And my mum had to jump. Um, between us to make sure that I didn't kill him. And this was, a, this was, this was where I was at with him, really. Um, 
I never really realized the impact <laughs> that it was having on, on, on the rest of my family. Uh, the turning point for me came when I came home one night and the, our house on the estate was, it was like an open door. People would come and go till all hours borrowing, you know, cigarette papers to make joints with or, you know, you know, come in and get a drink and stuff like that. But I came home this night, it was only about nine o'clock and the house was empty. The house was empty, no one was there. So that was really unusual for my house. Um, I remember standing in the living room and um, I, just remember, I just remember thinking, What's, why, why is nobody here? Why, why is nobody here? Why is the house empty? And what I realised was, my mum, John, my mum, all my siblings were upstairs hiding from me, pretending to be asleep. They knew if I came home drunk, drugged up and off my head, I was kicking off. And um, I, it, it really broke me. I remember... I remember the, the thought that John was upstairs hiding from me made me feel good. But the thought, I'd never really realised the impact that it had on the whole family. And I remember just thinking at that point in my life, what kind of animal have I become? What kind of animal have I become that my own mum and my own brothers and sisters are upstairs now hiding from me? What, what kind of animal have I become? And I remember just closing my eyes in the middle of the front room there. And um, I just closed my eyes, and the darkness in front of my eyelids just... And it was like I was stood in the middle of this ocean of darkness. My life had just been consumed by this darkness. And I didn't know if heaven or hell was real at that point in time. But I knew that if I died that night and hell was real, I was definitely going to hell. And I thought I was a big man. <laughs> but that terrified me. That absolutely, just, just the thought of... It just felt like hell was real. It just felt like I was in the middle of this ocean of darkness. And if I died there and then, I was going to hell. And it terrified me. And I remember dropping to my knees in the middle of the floor and saying, God, if you're real, God, only you can help me. God, if you're real, please, God, I'm in such a mess. God, if you're real, please help me. And nothing happened. No, no, no kind of angel appeared or anything like that. Nothing happened at, at that point in time. But then about two weeks later, I got arrested for um, robbery and possession of a firearm. And I believe that that was God's plan to get me out of the situation that I was in. I remember when I got arrested for the armed robbery, um, I, was already on, um, I was already on bail for about 10 other things. Police assault, uh, car crime, commercial burglary, things like that. I used to get drunk and like to fight with policemen and steal cars and things like that. Like I'm some kind of Grand Theft Auto or something. It was mad. Um, but I was on bail for about 10 other things. So I thought I was going to get bailed again, but the police said, no, no, you're not getting bailed, mate. You're going straight to prison. You're looking at me, McGuinness. You're in big trouble. And I just remember thinking, oh, no, no way. I thought I was a drunken disorder with a gun. <laughs> I didn't know what I'd done. So anyway, off I went to Hinley Young Offenders Institute. And um, what I realized in Hinley was um, on my estate and in my school, I thought that I was pretty tough. I thought I had a reputation and things like that. Um, but it was, it was such a small pond. <laughs> I was a big fish in a small pond. And then when I went to prison, I realized that actually I was only a very tiny fish in a very big pond. And there were some big lads and big sharks out there. And it terrified me to think that I could spend up to 10 years in prison for this armed robbery. So I started going to chapel class. Um, I went to, I, I received a Catholic education. We're Catholics, but just because I come from a long line of Irish drinkers and womanizers. So we kind of, so we kind of just went, went to Catholic school because we were Irish. Um, but so I started going to chapel thinking that, you know, it might get me some time off my sentence if, if you know, I don't know, maybe you can get a reference off the priest there or something. I don't know what I was thinking. So I started going to this chapel class on a, on a Sunday morning. And that was just what you would expect from a Catholic church. You go in, you, you know, you sing some hymns, you shake some hands, you eat the wafer, peace be with you peace with you and then you just get off and that was it that, that was what it was but then there was this thing on a Tuesday night um, I was, that went to chapel on Sunday the chapel class was Tuesday night so went to Tuesday night and it was run by this group of um, charismatic Christians from a church in Moss Side and I, I never knew what a charismatic Christian was but these guys worship Jesus the way you guys have just been worshipping Jesus tonight and it was mad to see Coming from a Catholic background, I, I didn't never seen anything like it. I didn't even know if it was legit. I thought it was a bit weird at first, to be honest. But e each week, these guys would tell us their story, and um, just about how they became a Christian, like what I'm doing tonight. 
And I just began to realize that these guys were just real people, just normal people with a story. It wasn't like a bloke, like a priest with a dress on, telling you how to live your life. These guys were just, you know, just normal people, really. So I began to listen. And the turning point came. This guy, um, he'd, been, he'd been into gang violence in Mossad. His mate had been shot and stuff. Um, and he's telling us his story. But he asked if he could pray for us. So we was in this room. So it wasn't very big. It was like from here to this black line. There's about 15 or 20 young offenders in this room. And because he just said, do you mind if I pray for you guys tonight? So he said, no. So this guy, he just started praying. I'd never heard a prayer like it. When I go to Catholic school, you learn parrot prayers, the Our Father, the Hail Mary. You know, prayers you can say without really thinking. But I was watching this guy pray. This guy was just pouring his heart out to God. This guy was talking to God. And as he prayed, he just came on the room. There's about 15 or 20 young offenders in that room. And I tell you what, not one of them was messing about. Not one of them was looking around. I sat there. I looked around. Every single one of them had their eyes shut and their hands like this, looking at the floor. And this guy, because he was just praying next to me. And I just said, in my heart, I just said, um, where is this guy getting his word from? I've never heard anything like it. And at the moment, I just got this answer. And he said, the Holy Spirit. And at, this moment, at that moment, I just had this penny drop moment that God was real. And this Holy Spirit thing is real. And the way God works on earth today is by putting his Holy Spirit inside normal men. And I was sat next to such a man with the Holy Spirit inside him. And I didn't, I didn't say the prayer, the, you know, sorry, please, thank you, the three hours or whatever we make people do these days. In my heart, I just said, you know what, I want what this guy's got. I just want what this guy's got. He has such a look of peace on his face. So I went back to my cell that night and um, I got in bed. And as I was laying down, on my, on my, as I was laying down, I was, I, was, I, was, I was nodding off to sleep. And all of a sudden, the darkness <laughs> inside my eyelids just began to open up again. And I could just see this ocean of darkness. And I just saw this tiny little speck, tiny little sphere of light just started to accelerate towards my face. And I just sat there and I'm just thinking, man, what is that? That's really weird, that. To accelerate towards my face. And I just, I thought, I thought man, that's really going to hit me in the face if I don't open my eyes. So I opened my eyes and the only thing I could think of was Romans chapter 10, verse 8. Romans chapter 10, verse 8. It was like Chinese water torture. It's like Romans chapter 10, verse 8. Romans 10, verse 8. And I knew that I wouldn't be able to get any sleep unless I read it. So when you go to prison, you get these little blue Gideon's Bibles. I don't know if you still get them. But I had one on my desk. But I knew I wouldn't get any sleep unless I read this first. Never read it before. Never memorized it. So I just threw the covers off. I was a bit annoyed, to be honest. Walked over to, walked over to my Bible. And I opened it, bang on Romans chapter 10. And I just started tingling all over my body. I just thought, wow, this is mad. Something mad's going on here. So Romans chapter 10, verse 8 reads. Um, but what does it say? Hear you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we are proclaiming and then the next verse reads that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead you'll be saved so I just thought you know something I'm in a six foot by ten foot cell got nothing to lose here I just said okay Jesus is Lord and at that point I was filled with a rush of power from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head just like it was just like it felt like my head was about this big and I just felt like I was in God's presence for about three or four seconds but it just, it just seemed like much longer. Um, so I just, just felt like I'd just been touched by God, really. And then from that moment on, I just knew that God was real. <laughs> but I just knew that God was real. Nobody could tell me any different. So in the end, I got, um, I got six years for the robbery. And I spent, like, I, I, got, I got released halfway through. I got my parole out for just over three years. But I spent three years, um, just, just under three years, uh, praying, reading my Bible, and just getting to know God really well. I call it my honeymoon with God, really. It was an absolutely uh, fantastic experience. How long have we got, Jordan? How are we doing for time? Two, three minutes. So, so that was my honeymoon with God. Those, those three years was absolutely fantastic. Um, when I got out of prison, um, what happened was, I went, I went out loud back in Salford. Um, but all my men at the time... When, when I went to prison, we'd been doing drug dealing and stuff, like selling weed and, and small quantities. But you, you couldn't sell Class A drugs. You just couldn't. It was, like, too dodgy. But when I got out of prison, everyone was selling Class A drugs. And um, I got involved with, 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 with that for a short time. I tried to go to church, 
but I just didn't stick. I, I went to like a couple of different, de- I didn't know the difference between denominations for some weird reason. So I went to a few funny churches and I didn't stick. And my, my old friends were waiting for me and they kind of graduated selling class A drugs and that. And um, I had a bit of a reputation and I seemed to want to hang around with me. So I got involved with my old life for about six months after I got out of prison. I was involved with selling um, just I was really bad. I'd, I'd done some really. I, I was probably bad when I got out of prison for six months. I was probably worse for that six months than before I went in. I was kicking drug dealers' doors off and, and stealing drugs and stuff like that, selling class A's and uh, finding pe- finding where people were selling ecstasy and, and, and pills and stuff and just saying, you know, we're selling them now and things like that. So I was in, in a lot of trouble. A couple of mates that I was hanging around with f- three or four years ago got stung with quite a big operation. Uh, we got like 12, 13, 14 years, some of them. Some of them were trying to stuff 80 grand in cash down the toilet while he was getting raided. You know, these were the kind of guys that I was knocking about with. It was mental. Um, but I'd gotten a lot of trouble because of the way I was behaving. And um, there, was a lot, there was some people after me. People was after me with machetes and things like that. People were threatening to shoot me. And I was just saying, join the queue. Join the queue. I just didn't care. And um, what happened was I was having, a, I was having like a nervous breakdown because there were so many people after me and I was so scared. I was hiding in my mum's house, and um, I found this leaflet for the Alpha course, and um, I tried church, and I just didn't fancy it, but they was running this thing called the Alpha course, and in, when I was in prison, I read a book called The God Who Changes Lives, and it was all about when um, they started running the Alpha course and teaching about the ABCs of the Christian faith, but then when they started teaching on the Holy Spirit, people were just getting baptised in the Holy Spirit, man, I just thought... That sounds a little bit like the experience I had, and that sounds a little bad to be involved in. So I kind of uh, give the church a bell, did the Alpha course, and um, yeah, it was pretty good. Did the Alpha course the first time, but um, I kind of had my, I had my life, I had my, I kind of had my, my feet in two different worlds. I was trying to live as a Christian, but also I was still knocking about with these guys and doing all this little mad stuff. And then I did it the second time, and I responded on, on, the, on the Holy Spirit Sunday. And I was filled with the Holy Spirit again, but it was more powerfully this time. And I spoke in tongues for the first time. And that was it, really, kind of. It's been a long, slow walk out of darkness, but um, it's been amazing. So I guess, I guess if you fast forward maybe 15, 16 years, if you look at my life, I've been married for 14 years. Um, I went back to university, got a bit, I've been educated. I've been married 14 years. I've got, four, I've got a lovely wife. I've got four beautiful children. I lead a church in Blackpool, Christchurch, Blackpool, absolutely fantastic church. And I guess, I guess one of the things is, um, how you measure success in the world, I would say that I've been quite successful, you know, since, since I kind of got filled with the Holy Spirit and walking with God. I say I've been quite successful, but I guess what's, more, what, what's scary for me is I'm thinking that I don't need God now. You know, I'm, not, I'm out of that environment, and I think um, that that for me is, is a scary thought. You know, so I think sometimes we think we're doing well, um, but I think it's a big mistake to think you're doing well and you don't need God. So I think that was something that I felt God wanted me to share with you guys. And, and the other thing was, um, I was at my most miserable when I first got out of prison for those six months because I was living a lie. I was living a life that was inconsistent with what I knew to be true about God. And I think there might be people here today who you know God, you've grown up in Christian families and things like that, but the way you're living and how you're trying to act cool to, to keep in with a crowd, it's inconsistent with, with what you know about God and what you believe about God, and you're miserable. And I just thought um, that was something to bring as well. So, cool. Great, it is my absolute pleasure now to introduce you to um, our speaker for tonight. He's a man who's got... Um, a message for you, which I, I do believe is, for many of you, going to completely change your life. Can we just um, welcome warmly and loudly Chris Frost? Cheers, man. What an amazing story that was. Wasn't that amazing? Anyone else blown away like me? Uh, really good story. Thanks so much for sharing that. Um, I'd just love to share a really quick story and then get us all up on our feet and doing something. Is that all right? So I was outside Quick Fit. Anyone know what Quick Fit is? It's a garage. I was outside car fixed, picking it up, and I saw one of the mechanics there, and he was walking along like this. Literally, I'm not over-exaggerating. He was dragging his leg along like that. 
And I said to him, mate, that looks really painful. What happened? And he said, well, I was up a ladder a few months ago. I fell off and I've crushed in all my ankle and it's really painful and I can't sort it. I said, what's your name, mate? And he said, Lee. And I said, this might sound weirdly, but could I pray for you? I believe that Jesus, although he died, he raised again. And so now, because he's alive, he can do stuff. And I was wondering if I could ask Jesus right now to come and heal you. Would you be up for that? And he said, well, you might have been well up for that. He was from Newcastle, in case uh, you needed that clarifying. And uh, I prayed for him, not expecting loads to happen, to be honest, but really feeling for him. I was like, man, that looks horrible. So I put my hand on him. I prayed for him, just a very simple prayer. Lee, in the name of Jesus, be healed right now. And afterwards I said, mate, um, did anything happen as I prayed for you? And he said, oh, that was really weird, mate. I'll stop the accent now because it's, it's rubbish. That was really weird, mate. As soon as you prayed, I felt this surge of power rush through my head right to the bottom of my feet. And I said, wow, I think I was probably as surprised as him. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, I think you've been healed, Lee. Um, why don't you check it out? And so he started just walking like that. And his face was like, whoa, it's absolutely fine. He couldn't believe it. And uh, standing right next to me was this guy with a turn. He was just looking at everything that happened, and his jaw was like the ground. And I said, did you see that, mate? And he said, yeah. Will you pray for my grand? She's sick at the moment. So we're there praying for his grand. And I called Lee up a few weeks later, and I said, hey, it's me, that guy who prayed for you. How's the ankle? He said, it's still amazing. Thank you so much. And uh, another time, I was... Uh, eating my lunch at work, and I'm one of these guys who's a bit greedy sometimes, eats a bit too quick. Any other guys a bit like that? A few of you met that, yeah. Any done eating challenges? Any guys done some of those eating challenges? Yeah, a few of you, yeah. And I was scoffing away, and then all of a sudden I hear this <coughs> noise, and my jaw has clicked out of place as I'm eating, and it was really painful. And the next couple of days to kind of get it back in, I was trying everything I could. And, um, but being the typical guy, I didn't want to go to the doctors. Anyone else a bit like me? Yeah, I really don't want to go to the doctors. It'll be fine, it'll be fine. Uh, anyway, I, I, my wife Jo, who's here, she said, come on, Chris, you need to get this sorted. And I said, right, tomorrow I'll go to the doctors. And she said, but before you do that, we're Christians, right? Yeah, we can pray. Oh, that's a really good idea. So uh, my wife Jo prayed for me. And as she prayed for me, I had experienced a lot like Lee. I felt this power come over me. In fact, I actually just fell right to the ground. And as I was falling, I could feel my jaw click right back into us. I tried for two or three days everything. Suddenly, the power of God's jaw clicks back into place. And I was like, I need to go and get loads of chocolate just to check that this has worked. And wow, no pain. I can eat with pain free. And I just want to share those stories to encourage you that, Jesus is alive. He does amazing things like turn up to guys in prison and fill them with power and love. And he also heals the sick. Now, sadly, we don't get to see everyone healed. At least that's been my experience. I've had to bury friends and family who we prayed that they would be healed, but they weren't. And that's a mystery, a sadness. We don't quite work out why Jesus does and doesn't do that. There are some answers we can give, but ultimately there's a bit of mystery there. But what that shouldn't stop us from doing is praying that God will heal us. I'm in real faith that tonight, some of you who've got pain, it might be physical, it might be spiritual, it might be emotional, Jesus is going to heal you tonight. I firmly believe that. I will be surprised if some of you aren't healed. Okay, I really, as I was praying earlier, I just felt God's going to do some healings tonight. And specifically, I think anxiety, people who suffer with, uh, maybe it's quite uh, just low level sometimes and it gets really high. I feel like there's going to be a release from that tonight. And you're going to be able to look back from months time and say, man, I just haven't had that feeling anymore. But I don't want me to pray, okay, because I'm not the special guy. If any of you are a follower of Jesus, even if you're not, you can actually ask him to do stuff and he does it. You don't need me to pray, a special person to pray for you. You guys are special. You can pray. So are we up for praying? Is that right? Let's all stand up. And what we're going to need is everyone who pain, it might be spiritually, it might be physically, emotionally. If you're happy to be prayed for, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to put your hands up. So just be thinking, because sometimes people forget, like, oh, yeah. I'm asthmatic. I forgot about that. I should have prayed for that. Um, if you're asthmatic, I'm sure um, maybe God might want to meet with you. So what we're going to do in a minute, when we get the hands up, everyone else, I'd love you to turn to that person and ask, 
just very briefly what the problem is. We don't want to hear lots of Latin words because that doesn't help with the prayer. And the, um, we just want to know where does it hurt, point, or if it's, it's something that is personal to you, you, can, you, don't have to, you don't have to share what it is. And then people around you, they're just going to pray. But I want you to pray like this. I don't want you to pray like, God, maybe if it's your will, perhaps if you're not too busy right now, please can you maybe, maybe if you really, really want to, just come and heal. What I'd love you to do is to pray like Jesus prayed. How did he pray? He commanded the person to be healed. So he just, all we need to do is like I did for Leah, a very simple prayer. We don't need to shout. Um, we can just put our hand on them and just say, in the name of Jesus, be healed right now. And uh, we can just keep doing that a few times, ask how they're doing, ask how they're feeling, and then getting healed. I want to hear some loud whoops, and uh, we'll hopefully get some shared through the microphone. Is that all right? So if you have a problem physically, spiritually, emotionally tonight, and you would like to be prayed for, please put both your hands high in the air right now. Okay, can we see both the, the hands? Okay, this is your last opportunity. Don't hold back. If you think, oh, no, it's not going to be me, this is you. Put your hand up right now. Okay, and now everyone start moving around these people. Put your hands on them. Just ask them whereabouts the pain is. And then just start commanding it to go in Jesus' name. Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. Right now, he has the authority to heal you. To take away every sickness and disease. He has crushed the devil and he has crushed sickness on the cross. And now as followers of him, we get to do the stuff he did. In fact, Jesus said, you will do even greater works than these. Right now, I'll pray in faith right now that this sickness will go. Anxiety will go in Jesus' name. Asthma will go in Jesus' name. Right now, we pray in faith that these things would go in Jesus' name. Come, Father. Okay, if you're, you're ready now, if there's some way of you being able to test, see if a healing has happened, now's a good time to do it. So if you couldn't jump up and down before, now's the time to jump up and down. I've been in other meetings like this where people have had to do at least a five-minute run to test it. And, and so if you need to go and do a five-minute run, go and do a five-minute run, uh, just before you go. Um, if you couldn't bend down before, try bending down. Or if you just know you feel, man, I just feel different. I feel like something's lifted off me. I feel like there's been a change. Just come forward. We'd love, love you to, to share that. feel an immediate change I'd encourage you to pray one more time um, so Jesus even did this when the, a blind guy came to him he said what can you see I see trees Jesus prayed again and then there was a full healing I just want to encourage you to pray again go for it again so if you haven't been healed please go for it one more time and, and pray with authority and faith and go for it if you have been healed or even just partially 
Uh, we'd love to hear your story. Why don't you come forward and share because that can really build faith. You got a story for us? Just keep praying if you're praying, but we've got a wonderful story here that's going to be shared. Um, I've just had recently some new trainers, and because obviously the new trainers, they still a bit obviously hurt my feet, definitely my ankles, and I've just been prayed for twice, and I think nearly completely fully nearly healed. So it was just like the back of my ankles, so I think from the park run today. I've nearly got healed fully. Fantastic. Thanks so much for sharing. That's brilliant. Any other stories? You want to share a story, mate? Um, about a week ago, I, my shoulder, I was playing football and I, my shoulder popped out and back in. And um, normally it takes about a month to like fully heal and then um, I can to get full movement back into it. And now I've just got it back after a week. Uh, yeah, about a week ago, my lungs started feeling really tight. Didn't really know why. Um, and they just got worse and worse over the week. Um, and, yeah, I just got prayer for. And they're not perfect, but they're a lot better. So, jobs are good. A few, mon- a few months ago... Um, my great granny passed away at the age of 99 it was and the grief really hasn't left me since February but I've just been prayed for by a lovely gentleman called Nick over there at the back and I definitely feel it's not all been lifted but been lifted that's amazing, thank you for sharing aren't these really encouraging is there anyone else who'd like to share? I just had someone um, uh, who, who wanted to share sort of anonymously. So he was saying that he felt uh, like a, a background anxiety, which he couldn't really identify why that was there. And he just felt after the, the prayer that it lifted him. Praise God, isn't that amazing? <laughs> Wonderful. Should we take a seat? Is that all right? Isn't that encouraging that Jesus is alive, that he's doing cool stuff among us? Thank you so much. Is it right to get one of these stands down? Is that right as well? Amazing, thank you. I'll tell you a story tonight. Who likes stories? We've got some story lovers in the house. I want to tell you a story about a guy called Saul. He was also called Paul. And he lived in a, a little place called Tarsus, which is in modern day Turkey. Has anyone been to uh, Turkey before? Anyone been on holiday? So uh, he lived in a place called Tarsus, and uh, he most probably had quite a wealthy upbringing. It was around 2,000 years ago, and his father was probably a businessman who would sell tents. You see, just 25 miles away from Tarsus were the mountains, and on those mountains were some black goats. And they had this lovely hair that you could knit together and make into amazing tents. In fact, the Tarsians were known around the Roman Empire at that time for making the most amazing tents. And because he was uh, growing up in a wealthy family, a tent-making family, he would have learned how to make tents as well. He would also have had a very good education, learning the local languages and developing in that way. But his family were also very, very religious They were Jews. They were followers of God. Um, Their scriptures were the 39 books that we have in our Old Testament. And because his parents were devout and religious, they were a local synagogue, the, the equivalent of like a church for us. He would have gone there and he would have learned all about God. He would have learned the Hebrew language. The, the, 39 test, the 39 books in our Old Testament were written in that language originally. He would have memorized many of those uh, verses and those books. And uh, he would have known a lot about God, a lot about following him. 
And then most likely, age 13, he was sent to a place called Jerusalem, probably with his older sister who was married at the time. And in Jerusalem, he was trained to be like an equivalent of a preacher, like what I'm doing now, but for the Jewish people. And he would instruct them and teach them as he continued to grow. He would have been one of the experts of the Bible at the time. He was under a teacher called Hamalel, who was a really famous teacher, a really clever teacher in that school. And he would learn loads and loads about the Bible. He'd memorize loads of it. He'd become really good in Hebrew and Aramaic, the languages. And uh, he was well-educated. And, and this guy, he probably liked doing wrestling. And probably like sports, any sports fans? He probably liked watching the Olympics, um, the European Championships. People like watching that kind of stuff. He would have liked to watch the equivalent in his day. He was kind of into sports. But what Paul or Saul really loved to do, God, and become a more and more devout for God. He was consumed about being the most holy kind of leader of that time. And in fact, he would progress above most of his classmates, age 13 to 18. He'd be the one at the front. He'd be the boffin. He'd know the one, all of the questions. He'd know all the answers. He was at the top of his game. He thought probably that life was going well for him. Until that is, he starts hearing about this Jesus guy. And Jesus, as we know from our Bible, he's been performing miracles, teaching about the kingdom of God. And one day, though, he turned to Jerusalem. And Paul's leaders at that time would not have been impressed with Jesus. Because he was claiming, not always right up front, but he was claiming to be God. Big claim. And to Paul's or Saul's, whichever name you want to use, Paul in Greek, um, Saul in Hebrew, he would have been offended, really deeply offended that Jesus was making these claims. And so Paul's leaders got together with a guy called Judas, remember the story now? And they gave him some money to basically sell Jesus out, to tell them we. So these guys came and they got Jesus They arrested him, they flogged him, they beat him, they put him on a cross, and he died. And Paul or Saul probably would have been thinking, this is brilliant. Story over, we can get back on, I can go on and be this great, amazing leader, and problem solved. But what happened? An event called Pentecost. 50 days after Jesus had died, the Holy Spirit is poured out in Jerusalem. And followers of Jesus start saying that although Jesus died, he raised again to life. And they're going around telling everyone. And these new followers of Jesus become really, they make massive changes. They sell things that they've got and they give it to the poor. They love each other with this amazing love, devoted to one another. They're devoted to teaching, learning more and more about Jesus. These guys are obsessed by Jesus Christ. That's why we, they were called Christians because they just didn't stop talking about Christ. They loved Jesus Christ. And this was a massive issue for Paul. Can you imagine? You think, man, we, we, we squashed this one. We sorted this one. We got this one out of the way. We just killed Jesus. But now they're saying he raised. What? And so Paul and the leaders at the time thought, what we need to do is get rid of these guys, Christians. If we can get rid of them, they'll sect. They'll stop this kind of strange, odd following after God. And we can maintain our power. And we can keep our religion And so that's exactly what they started to do. They started to arrest the leaders of the churches at that time. And in fact, they even started having a go, this guy called Stephen. And they would debate with him and argue with him. But he could stand up to any question they brought. Any kind of argument they bring to him, he'd bring back like the perfect defense. They couldn't stand up to his wisdom or the Holy Spirit by whom he spoke. But still, they would not repent they would not stop and realize that what Stephen was saying was true so Paul or sought together with a few of his buddies they grabbed this guy and they put him against the wall most likely and threw stones at him until he died 
And guess what? Paul was there holding the coats of people so they didn't get sweaty while they were doing it, approving of what they were doing. He would have been saying, well done, guys. This is it. This is the judgment of God that you're exercising. What you're doing is right. God is happy with this situation right now. But I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure Paul in that situation was being changed from the inside out. You see, Stephen, he didn't stand up and start beating these guys up. He looked up to heaven and saw Jesus there. And he said, forgive these people. And he said, now I'll receive my spirit. And Paul, holding these cloaks as those rocks pounded Stephen's dying body as he groaned and breathed his last breath and died. No healing for him. I wonder what was going on in the inside of his heart. You see, later this guy, Paul or Saul, he wrote a lot of the New Testament. A lot of what I've told you is based upon what the Bible teaches, some also from historical accounts. But what he writes in the Bible is that he was like an ox. Can anyone do a good ox impression? Try mine then. He was like an ox. And in the olden days, if you were an ox, your owner had like a, a stick with like a point on the end and it would jab you. The owner would jab you to move the ox. ox. And Paul says that he, rather than obeying this prodding from God, if you like, actually pushed against the prod. He, he was like a stubborn ox that would push into that point. God was trying to, like, like an ox, was trying to guide Paul, Saul, into the right way of following him. Yet he was stubborn and refusing to budge. So you imagine Paul, Saul in this situation, seeing Stephen being stunned. What's going on the inside? We know that God at some point was moving on his heart, whispering to him, saying, you've got it wrong. Jesus really was God. He really is God. He really did die and rise again. But we need to wait a while longer until Paul responds to that. You may have heard the story. You see, what happens is that although these Christians, these followers of Jesus are being persecuted, many of them stay put, but most run. Ah, Get out of here, mate. They're killing all the Christians. And Paul, or Saul, realizes that some of these guys of Damascus, now Damascus was a large city and a place where many people would come in to buy and sell things and then move on. And probably in Paul's mind, he was thinking, man, if the Christians are in Damascus, we need to stop them there or this thing's going to go global. People are going to hear about Jesus everywhere and our synagogues and all our rules and, and ways of doing things are going to be in a lot of trouble. So Paul goes to his leaders and says, can I get some letters to go to Damascus and go and arrest anyone who's a Christian? They say, go for it. So he runs all the way. I don't know if he runs, but he goes all the way to Damascus and he finds followers of Jesus there. At least that is his plan. Because what happens on the road to Damascus? Do you remember? Well, I want to read it to you. The... the, This is Paul or Saul's own words. And it's in Acts chapter 22. About noon, as I came near Damascus, this is Paul, Saul, on his way to to Damascus. Suddenly, a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground. We've got to do it, haven't we? I fell to the ground. Voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, 
receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Isn't that amazing? And what does Paul do? He's obedient. Straight away, he goes around Damascus, the very one who's supposed to kill and destroy the church, now goes around trying to lift it up. The one who is trying to silence people talking about Jesus starts shouting about Jesus. And then he goes back to Jerusalem and starts telling all his buddies, Jesus is real. Then he gets out of Dodge for a while, and about 10 years later, he's in a place called Antioch. And from there, he goes out and he starts to tell the whole known world about Jesus. And he starts planting churches. And this costs him massively. It costs him massively. In fact, he says this, I have worked much harder, frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. That was probably a bit like what his back looked like. Isn't that amazing? A guy who wanted to kill and destroy the church met Jesus, met followers of him, and started building the church at significant cost to him. So I suppose a really good question to ask is, what was Paul's message? What did he want to say? Should we have a look at what he said? The most important thing that he went around saying. Are you ready for it? This is a guy who, remember he grew up in Tarsus, devout follower of God, met Jesus, life changed. What's the message that Jesus has given him? Are you ready? This is the message. For what I received, this is him writing to a church that he started. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. What's the most important thing, Paul? Christ died for our sins. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say that? Christ died for our sins. So I suppose a really... Is what are our sins? What are our sins? What are they? Anyone has it a guess? Whatever we do wrong. Excellent. Simple as that. Anything you think, say, or do that you shouldn't do and do. Anything you think, say, and do, or you should have think, said, and done, but you didn't do. But even deeper than that, it's basically spitting in God's face. You see, we're born for two relationships, a relationship with God and a relationship with people. And the most important one is God. But sin is like saying, God, I don't want you in my life, thank you. I want me to be me. I want to be Lord of my life. I don't care about you. That's what sin is. And sin has three devastating consequences. And I need to... Someone to put on a t-shirt for me. Are you, who's happy to put a t-shirt on for me? Oh, nice one, mate. If you could put that t-shirt on for me. We won't, we won't laugh at him, will we? We won't laugh at you. If you put it on, thank you. And then come and stand on the stage for us. That'd be brilliant. You see, we might be thinking, well, okay, sin is doing bad stuff. It's not a list. You have to stand on the stage, is that right? That'd be amazing. Um, it's not uh, listening to God. Okay, but so what? What's the big idea? Like, What's so bad about our sins? Well, sin has, if you just come stand right here, that'd be amazing. Sin has three devastating consequences. This is a dog poo, in case you're wondering. You see, one of the worst things about sin is that it makes us spiritually dirty. Jesus said this, all these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. It's like, I don't know about you, but sometimes 
before I followed Jesus, I used to look at photos of me as a young kid and not even want to see them because there was an innocence that I had then. And I knew I'd done stuff that was horrible and wrong and bad. And I knew I'd lost that innocence. That's what sin does to us. It makes us feel guilty. It makes us feel bad on the inside where we just feel rotten and just horrible. And the other consequence sin has is that it separates us from God. This is the the no entry sign. This is, uh -uh, you're not allowed in here. You see, that's the other thing about sin. Not only does it make us spiritually dirty, but it separates us from God. The book of Isaiah says this, but your iniquities, your sins have separated you from God. There is now, because of sin, a separation from God. We're cut off from who we really need to be in relationship with. And thirdly and finally, there is a, a judge's hammer here, just like we heard our friend earlier, consequence for our actions. Not only a human consequence, but there is a godly consequence for our actions. And there will be a day where God calls everyone to account for the way they've lived their life. And not one of us is free from that gavel that will pound down and say, guilty. We have all offended a holy God and we deserve to be judged. And this is a ter terrible predicament for every human being. We have sin that makes us feel dirty on the inside. We have sin that separates us from God. And we have sin that deserves a punishment. The only rescue for us is that someone completely pure Someone in complete union, no separation from God. And someone that would pay the price that we deserve would come. That's our only hope. We can't clean ourselves. We can't work our way back to God. We can't somehow pay God back for the justice and judgment we deserve. We can't. We need a rescuer. So I need someone to come and hold this t-shirt up for me. Yeah, please, mate. Thanks. So when Paul says that Christ died for our sins, here are ours with our sins, but here is Christ. Are you happy to hold that up for us? This t-shirt is completely pure. Do you make sure I haven't got any dodgy stains around it or my son hasn't put it in the mud? No, it's all good. It's completely pure. You see, Jesus never did anything wrong. He never thought, said, or did anything evil. He was always in complete, perfect union with his father. There was no separation. And he deserved no judgment whatsoever because there was no spiritual filth to be judged. Thanks, mate. Sit down, cheers. And so what Paul is saying that Christ died for our sins, what is he saying is that Jesus, when he hung upon a cross, he was pure and spotless. Yet what does he do? You have to take your T-shirt off, mate, is that right? You've probably never been asked to do that at a Christian meeting before. But cheers, mate. Thanks a lot. You have to sit down. Thank you. Well, basically what Paul is saying is that when Christ died for our sins, our filthy t-shirts were put upon him. You see, he experienced the sin that we commit. He experienced the separation that we deserve. And he experienced the judgment of God that we deserve. So that we could receive his free gift of righteousness. Theologians will call this the great exchange where we swap our filthy rags and we pick up for absolutely free righteousness so that now we're free from guilt and shame. Hallelujah, flipping Isn't that amazing? No more, oh, I've done that. Oh, I'm so bad. No, no, no. You've been wiped clean, my friend. That's what Jesus does. No longer any separation. Not like, oh, I messed up, so I can't really. No, no. The separation's been dealt with. He's your dad and you're united to him. And no more judgment. Hallelujah. Death has lost its sting. Death is now just the doorway to heaven with Jesus forever. What a hope we have. What an amazing message we've received. Can you understand now why Paul was willing to have his back? He was willing to go to prison because Christ died for our sins. Isn't this amazing news? This is the best news in all of world history. Right now, there's not one bit of better news going on in the world. This is the best news you will ever hear. 
God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is the gospel. This is what turned Paul's life upside down and inside out. I wonder, do you know him? Do you know this good news? Do you know that Christ died for your sins? Some of you may be thinking, well, Sure, Chris, but loads of people have weird spiritual experiences. I had a weird experience at Damascus Road. Other people do crazy things. Why? How can we trust that this is true? Maybe it's just one man's imagining. Well, Paul doesn't end his passage there. He says this. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. This was promised. We're coming into land now. This was promised by God beforehand. As Paul, that massive, studious guy, as he looked on the Old Testament books with fresh eyes, he saw every single book was pointing to Jesus. Even crazy things that were completely outside of Jesus. He was born, how he would die, where he would be buried. These were all predicted in the Old Testament. He was uh, died for our sins according to the scriptures. Then he carries on. It was uh, stated earlier by Alan Rossi, amazing, that he was buried. Paul wants us to know he definitely died. Okay, when Jesus died, he died. It wasn't like he, he felt a bit ill and he was pretty bad, but then he recovered a few days later so people thought they saw him. He definitely died. He, his mum was there. He, he, he saw her, he, his mum saw him die. She know, knew it was him. It wasn't swapped. It was definitely Jesus that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. He came back to life. Although he was dead, he was definitely alive. He was raised and that he appeared. And then he names all these different people that he appeared to. He's saying, look, if you don't believe me, go and check out with all these other guys. Loads of them saw Jesus after he was dead, alive again. Not as like uh, a half dead guy, but as a guy who was fully alive that people would put their trust in. And then he says, last of all, he appeared to me. We've heard the story on the Damascus Road. Isn't this amazing? So we know that Jesus was buried. We know that he was raised. And we know that then he appeared to many different people. And lastly, to Paul. Earlier, how do we become a Christian? How do we exchange our filthy rags for Christ's righteousness Christ's purity and perfection, his intimacy with God. Well, Paul put it like this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And probably many of you have already said this prayer. You've already believed the message that you've heard tonight or something like it about Jesus, about him dying and being buried and raising again and being God and Lord. And you've said, yeah, I want to, I want Jesus to be my Lord. But maybe there's some of you who haven't. Going to church for a while, maybe going to youth group for a while, and you've never actually said, yes, yes, this is what I want. And we want to give you an opportunity tonight to do that. And uh, if Alan's happy to come up and just um, strum for us, um, we just want to pray because I can't convince you tonight. Um, I can't. I've tried my best, but only God can actually convince you that this is true and so we need him to come by his spirit now and as he's done he's, he's shown miracles of healing he needs to come by his spirit and convince you on your heart that this is true and in a moment I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond I'm going to ask you to be really brave and stump forward with everyone looking at you but we all love you don't worry <laughs> why am I asking you to do that well because Jesus died in front of everyone for you he wasn't ashamed of it. And so if you want to give your life to Jesus tonight or you want to recommit it, you want to say, yes, I really, I really want this, Jesus. We're going to ask you to come forward in a moment after I've prayed. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Oh, you love us so much, Lord. love is just outstanding Lord we've tasted many things in this world we've tasted good food we've 
Many of us have had good friends. Some of us have been privileged to have good family. But Father, there's no one like you. We were made for you. We were made to worship. We were made to experience relationship with you. And Father, I thank you that you've solved the big problem of our sins. Thank you, Father, for sending your only son, Jesus, to die on a cross to take away our sin. Thank you. Thank you that all we need to do is confess Jesus Lord, give our life to him and follow him. And then we receive your free gift of forgiveness, of hope, of love. And Father, I pray tonight for those who are not sure right now that you would meet with them by your spirit right now, Father. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. It's really important to go through the stuff of your mind. It involves our mind making this choice. But your heart is just as important to reach that. That needs to be a work of the Holy Spirit. So I pray right now, Holy Spirit, come, reach hearts. Come, reach hearts, Holy Spirit.